Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Ways Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 64. We have our very first in-studio guest since the pandemic started, and a very special <laughs> one at that. Um, welcome, Neil, from the First Hike Project. Thanks, guys. Uh, really good to be here. Um, so we've got Neil in to talk about the First Hike Project, but before we get started, just want to tell us a little bit about your background in hiking and kind of what draws you into that particular pastime? I've just always hiked, so born in Scotland, my dad liked the outdoors and always just took us up um, hiking in the highlands or, or around the lochs and stuff, so uh, it was just something I always did. I always had that in my background and we moved to South Africa when I was 10 and he just carried it on and everything changed. The outdoors changed from being wet and cold to being, you know, hot and yep lots of flies and, <laughs> and and a lot more things out there that want to eat you <laughs> so the enthusiasm was always there i just loved hiking being outdoors and finding a cave to sleep in mm-hmm. cool. so neil where did the idea for the first hike project come from and what challenges did you face at the very start uh the idea came my lovely wife always introduces me to the best parts of my life and she um, met some people who started something called the first home project it was out in Midland. They'd purchased a house, which they divided into three sections and housed themselves and two other families, newly arrived refugee background, um, to try and help them assimilate and teach them what buses to catch and where to get the food and all that sort of stuff. That uh, was sort of their, their life's work. So we met them and became more conscious of the struggles people coming um, through the humanitarian visa route to this mm. country. It's just the, the different um, tricky parts of that and, and uh, the hard ways of becoming aware of how to do things in Australia. So in all of that, I'm still talking about what am I doing this weekend and going hiking and, and looking at all of these sort of blank faces of people going like, what, what, are you, what is that? What's camping? What's, what's hiking? And then explaining to them and, and having to vouch for my sanity. Like, why would, you, <laughs> why would you do that? And you have this house with a bed and a roof and, and it, the whole concept. It just, I just became more and more aware that it wasn't something that people outside of western culture actually do yeah and was toying with the the whole idea of introducing groups to that was intriguing to me to see like would they think this is a really dumb thing to do after doing it Mm. and Mm. playing with that and and it was serendipitous my neighbor needed a project to start and we were having a gin on a friday afternoon in my back garden and she was talking about how am i going to find us you know a, a small local group that I can, rep- she needed to do a report of something. And I just mentioned, oh, I'm toying with this idea of starting this hike project. And, and I literally woke up the next morning and we had a Facebook page and heaps of interest from people <laughs> that she'd just created this thing. I was like, whoa, hold on. That's awesome. <laughs> I had to catch up. Yeah. That's something that, you know, what do you say about it being a Western thing? That's very true because my family uh, migrated from Singapore. So I'm a first generation Australian and I grew up with a lot of my friends doing like, you know, Cub Scouts and WA, um, you know, the, the calm bush rangers and things like that. And I had no idea, you know, it sounded really awesome, but my parents never sent me for these things. They, they didn't think of it as a thing that you could do. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and that's someone who um, didn't come in a refugee visa, but just you know, came to Australia. 
Um, so it would be even more difficult if you came from a country where maybe you don't even speak English or you don't even know about any of this sort of leisure kind of activities. Yeah, that that's something that we've had to deal with quite a lot is to um, make people aware that the wild outdoor areas are actually the safest areas as far as Australia goes. Like, you know, people may be dangerous in a city, but mm. you go into the bush and, and, you know, it's actually probably the safest place to be mm. is out there. So there's a lot of, like, trepidation in the beginning of our hikes. Like, those are traditionally areas that some people have avoided at all costs. Don't go into the forest. Like, that's, that's where the danger lurks. So... Mm. There is a crossover for us to, to be aware that, you know, that's something that people are dealing with. Yeah. Nice. Um, and how do you find participants for the program? Um, and is there, like, a limit, because it's mainly kids that you take out, is there, like, an age limit um, for participants going with you? Yeah, there, well, there is and there isn't. We just, we just aim at a particular group. So w what we do is that we have relationships with schools that have got the intensive English training course. So people, migra all migrants go through this. If they can't speak English well enough to join curriculum, then they'll go through these learning centres that just pump English into them as much as they can to get them to a level where they can then join appropriate year uh, at school. So we form relationships with these schools and then present to the kids in the class. There's normally anything up to about 30 kids in each class and we've got capacity to take 15 at a time. So uh, yeah, the brave ones put their hands up. They wouldn't be the first time we've gone to that school because they've got nothing really to go on. No, no one's vouching for us. Mm. Uh, and then after that, we find the list is really easy to populate. Once the first batch go, come back and then tell the stories, then we're inundated. <laughs> so awesome. we just yeah. need one group of really brave kids in the beginning. Yeah, the kids that you don't get lost. <laughs> yeah, well, we haven't lost one yet. <laughs> exactly, that's the wood. Um, what are the kids like and what are some of the reactions you get from them spending extended time in the Australian bush? You know, it, we've yet to really do an extended... We, we, do, we pick them up on Saturday morning and we'll drop them back off on Sunday afternoon. So the ones who really love it, that comes too quick. Um, they really want to stay out for three, four, five. No, they'd be out there for a week if we had mm -hmm. prepped for it. But um, So the, the results are, are probably... They would be more um, they would be more pronounced on a longer trip, but we we do notice that the kids when we pick them up from the house on Saturday morning, really quiet, really reticent to to speak, not really sure what's going on, and so we pick them up with our volunteers' car. So a volunteer will pick up three kids and meet us wherever we're going to be hiking, and then on the Sunday they'll take those same three kids back home and they find the people they've got in the car on the Sunday are completely different to the ones they've got on Saturday morning. Like you, you can't get them to talk on Saturday and you can't stop them talking on the Sunday like they're full of beans, they've, they've mm. had a great weekend because we don't put heaps of activities into that so we leave lots of space for the kids to throw stones in a river or, or you know, climb a tree or just mm. spend time in nature so they really get recharged on the weekend. Fantastic. Yeah. Nice. And what does a typical trip look like in terms of like the time you mentioned, Saturday to Sunday, um, the distance you hike over the day, what kind of gear you provide and also the group size? Yeah, so we're mindful that uh, a lot of the kids who come have never hiked before and the only prerequisite or the, the only um, 
stipulation we say is bring a decent pair of training shoes. So we we sort of um, we map the route according to that. That's our sort of uh, limiting factor. So try and keep it under 10 kilometers each way and we don't load them up completely. We've got a support vehicle that takes all the really heavy stuff to the camp, but we put a backpack and sleeping bags and put their clothes in there. And so they're carrying, it's a, it's a full legit experience, but they haven't got the full heavy pack to, mm, that mm. would like dissuade them from ever coming again. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, been, we've all been in those situations with too much oh, yes. weight on your back and it's, <laughs> it's not fun. So we wanna, we wanna create an event that really makes them want to come back and, and do it on their own or do it again with us or join the Cubs, uh, Scouts, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, we try and we try and make it, we, we gauge it at that level where they're not getting burdened. They're getting all the good but not the bad of hiking. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That comes later when they yeah. want to get into it seriously. <laughs> Break them in gently. Yeah. <laughs> so is this mostly on sort of Bibbleman track kind of areas? Yeah, it yeah. is over here. And we've done a couple of other tracks, but to be honest, when you've got the Bib track there with the resources and the access, and yeah. it's it's hard to beat. We've mm. tried a couple of other tracks um, in Perth, which have been great, but they just don't match up with what we would get from the Bib track. And, yeah. and the foundation is really supportive uh, of things we do. So we get our notice of intent in pretty early and we always get approved and, and normally have to go for the group huts these days because our group sizes are a bit bigger. Mm. Um, but yeah, that bib track, that's our, that's our bread and butter. Awesome. Fantastic. So with obviously with COVID-19, how has that affected the tours um, and the events? Yeah. Like everything else, it's, we just cancelled everything. So we were just gearing up for a whole season, um, start, normally starting in April. Uh, sometimes March, March, April, May is when we hike. Um, so it all kicked off before that. So we, we haven't done anything this year yet. Right. Uh, we don't hike in midwinter and midsummer because we're trying to entice people to come again. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, so we're gearing up. Uh, fingers crossed everything will kick back off again in September, October this year. We've got our uh, groups going out this weekend to Mount Cook. We're going to have a chat and see who's available um, and yeah, what we want to start planning. But if everything goes the way it has been going and we don't get a setback, then I think we'll be we'll be back in business again this next season. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So you started operations in Perth, but you've since expanded into other capital cities in Australia. Um, being a Perthian. How difficult was that to try and get those operations up and running, um, especially as independent offshoots where you're not there to oversee everything? Yeah, yeah, there was a lot to deal with in that um, and a lot of difference. Every single state's got different resources available to them. So I'm, I am a Perthian, but I've only ever lived in Perth in Australia. So coming from um, the UK, I've been here for 15 years and the bib track's there and it's an outdoors country. You just take it for granted that everybody has that kind of resource on their doorstep mm. and there are hiking routes and huts and all that stuff on the east coast but they i'm yet to find a place that's got a resource like bib track to be honest uh, with its accessibility and ease of use and stuff so i relied really heavily on local um, knowledge I, I, I didn't ever i've never actually planned a hike on the east coast so our, our way of expansion was to find people in areas who were keen um, 
and if I could track down somebody who was willing to be a coordinator, then I would base the whole thing around that person. We would do an information night, we'd try and get the volunteers together who had the local knowledge, um, create a group, get a bit of group, group dynamics going, and then from that group we'll start planning events in the same culture that we'd developed over here. But it really was all of the groups, none of the groups would have worked had we not found a active, keen group of volunteers uh, willing to help us. So um, they know where to hike, they know the routes, the, hike, the, the huts, how to do the bookings and all that sort of stuff. So relied really heavily on local knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So with the people who have gone on their first hike, do you keep in touch with the participants after they've been on the trip? and? Have any come back as volunteers to help out? They sure have, yeah. I mean, we. Um, I think that's that's stimulated from their, the participant side. They will not let go of us once yep. they've <laughs> once they've been and loved it because this really attract. Like you know what hiking's like. Either people hate it or they love it. Like there's mm -hmm. very few in betweeners. Um, it's quite because it's hard. Like day walking is different, but when you're actually hiking with a pack, like it's and if that a appeals to someone. Uh, we have like so much enthusiasm from them it's ridiculous so mm. we've always it, I think in every single hike we've done bar the first one we've had repeat kids coming on so we've first hike project but we're willing to look at that second hike project and third <laughs> hike project. Um, they're that keen so we we're in the process now of trying to formalize that so that they come out with something to show these mm. kids so mm. we we're putting together a training package um, to bring them back and give them the skills necessary for their confidence to be high enough for them to go, I've got this, like I can I can lead groups in the outdoors, I can take mates. Uh, uh, and we're, in, we're, we're getting a lot of support from uh, corporate world and we, we've now got a package together that we just need to, we need to find the funding to create the package and run it. But uh, we've got, the kids will come out of it with a couple of Cert 2 um, unit certificates plus our own in-house ones and a full set of hiking gear from backpacks, tents, sleeping bags, wet weather gear all donated to us um, and the cherry on the top is a flight to Tassie to do the overland oh, uh, track. Awesome. Wow. We've, we've got a company that's backing us, we're going in January for our first one um, we've got a, and they, they're going to fund the whole thing so there's a, a very sweet little package at the end of it so not only is it it's going to attract people who want to get into hiking um, mm. but there, there's a payday at the end of it you know yeah. you complete the course you get all the gear plus this great big hike at the end of it so we're hoping that it activates them to stay with us and, and be guides yeah you know, forever fantastic. yeah yeah, sounds like a great community you've got going, and it's good to for them to give back to the experience and show others what what their experience gave them. Yeah, and I think we benefit from that because you know, what do we know about providing a service to someone who's arrived on a humanitarian visa? We we we're making it up, and we we're hoping that what we put forward actually is appropriate and suitable. Mm. So the more voices we can get in the organization who have been through that process and they can talk into what we're providing mm. uh, the better we get so we, we really want to hold on to all of those voices to to change the organization from within so that we're actually better at what we do mm, yeah awesome. that's the hope <laughs> yeah 
Um, so if anyone's listening to this, uh, Homer in the car, and they really want to help out, um, how do people contact you and, and register to be a volunteer or office admin, anything that, that they can mm. help out with? Yeah, well, that's we always need as much help as we can get. So uh, contact at firsthikeproject.org.au. Um, that's our sort of admin email. That's that's a good place for people just to go, hey, I'm in Perth or wherever I am. You know, I'm Sydney. We've got branches in Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra and Melbourne. In any of those areas, we would love to hear from you if, you, if you're keen on getting involved in any way like we've got everything from website development and admin you know organizations just grow and the needs grow mm. um, we can operate really thin uh, but the more people we have the the better we are at doing what we are we what we provide so yeah fundraising support and hike guides and and all sorts of stuff even landowners we've got a lot of uh, landowners on the east coast who have put their properties at our disposal uh, there's campsites and hiking routes and stuff that only they know of in their oh, area right, yeah, and cool. we get guided tours and all sorts of stuff so mm. the the network's growing and 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 that's only through the strength of our volunteers so yeah cool. get in touch mm. so with i guess you know the growth and then also having the setback of covid19 what does the future of first type project look like you know this is Honestly, the sky's the limit for an organisation like this. We are we are happy to um, we're happy to adapt. Well, we weren't happy to adapt to COVID, but we we had to. But yeah. we're really adaptable. So we've had interest from all over the world when SBS went out. Like um, that show's not limited to Australia. Like it goes out, and people viewed it everywhere. Um, so we've had interest as far as America. Um, European countries, uh, Portugal, Spain, people who are like, like I could do that here. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the possibilities for opening up branches is endless. Um, but I think what what else we can do is use the organisation to help the people that we're taking on the hike. So bringing more people in um, who are new to a country um, and are finding it hard to find work or get themselves settled or make networks we want to be able to provide more than just a hiking experience like more people we have on our board from that background the better the more people who work in the organization from that background the better so it's we can use the actual structure of the organization as well to provide as much help as we can um, for people who are finding it pretty tough to um, blend in or, or get started in a new country so yeah, we're always looking at new ways, I think, of, of using what we've got. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey going yeah. from just a, a hobby hiking organisation to, to getting some, you know, a interest from someone in America saying, hey, when are you guys coming to Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you, you buy me a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned corporate support before. Do you want to give a shout out to any particular companies that have been really great in helping you out? Um, especially early on with providing gear or mm. money or anything? I really do. I mean, we've had some really good support. Our, our best friends really, um, places like Wild Earth, uh, local, uh, I think they're over in Brisbane, but they do mm. free online delivery for hiking gear. Their prices are amazing. And I sent a couple of emails off to them just to introduce ourselves. And um, 
when that landed on the right person's desk we've we've had you know a best friend in there which is ridiculous so much help um he's helped outfit most of our groups around the country um uh, yeah just the support networks things like mayan new south wales um fremantle multicultural futures um we just we get a lot of support from a lot of different areas but i think as far as corporate help goes wild earth really has gone over and above um to bend over and, and really help us wherever we needed it and and that goes right through to website help and all that sort of stuff so mm. yeah i hope i haven't missed anyone <laughs> <laughs> well as, as someone who's bought a lot of stuff from wild earth it feels good to know that they are yeah that they're a supportive oh that's good you know organization yeah um, and lastly i mean you've mentioned the uh, kind of the culture shock to some of these refugees coming out and seeing the Australian bush. Do you have any particularly funny stories um, from any of the adventures or the hikes that you could share with us? Yeah, we do. And and the funniest one probably is our biggest learning moment in all of this is is that in the beginning we we get to camp and we'll show everybody how to put up a tent because they're all sleeping in a tent that night and, and generally never have put one up. So we'll make a big hoo-ha of, of getting everybody around and all the guides and we'll, we'll set one tent up. And then a guide will go with two participants and help them set theirs up according to what they've just learned. And then we'll, you know, we'll just throw the sleeping bag in and we'll, throw, we'll show them how to do the mat. That's the sort of tricky part. But we just would take the sleeping bag and throw it in because mm. it's self-explanatory. It's a sleeping bag. It did back. So we thought. <laughs> um, the coldest night hike that we did um the next morning i was really curious to see how well our sleeping bags dealt with the cold and they scheduled at minus four but you know that doesn't always mean it's comfy comfy. Yeah. Mm. and everybody was fine until this one guy woke up and he goes oh it's freezing last night I was like, wow that's weird like everybody else seemed okay and i said oh geez there's obviously you're maybe there's something wrong with your sleeping bag or and he had that look on his face and, I, and he like sleeping bag <laughs> i was like you did sleep in the sleeping bag he's like oh no you could see there was no understanding of what was going on <laughs> oh no so looked in his tent and there it is in the corner still in its bag like he had no idea what that thing that we just turfed in was <laughs> this poor fella just they must have been freezing wow. that's a long night yeah, yeah. Um, so we learned that everything just because you think you know it doesn't mm. mean someone else does so it's really helped us to like explain try not to over explain everything but just make sure that everybody understands what's yeah what's going on so yeah yeah poor fella i still feel bad <laughs> i don't even know why i tell that story I felt really bad for him <laughs> cool. and you mentioned kind of by sunday they're all lively and you can't get them to stop talking what's it like around the campfires at night does it oh. take a while or is everyone pretty chatty by then yep 90% of the time, it's you, you don't have to do anything to stimulate conversation. They're in the bush with their friends from school. Um, there's mum, mum and dad out there. They're building a fire. They're, they're having fun. So generally, we will we'll let... As long as it's within the boundaries of um, like being uh, careful of other people around us. Like We don't want to dominate and, and take over a campsite. But... Mm. Um, 
yeah, generally there's not much need for us to do anything, which is good because I'm not really like an activities kind of guy. Like mm. it's nice that things just flow organically. But sometimes we have people in the in our guiding group that are actually qualified guides and they've got really good ways of, of getting people to interact as a group and, and keep that like group dynamic going. So that's quite fun to watch. Um, but we did have one, one night at a camp up here in, um, I think it, well, it might have been Hubert's hut, uh, we had a smaller group and they were really rowdy and they had some music in the you know the portable music speakers which we allow as long as other people aren't around and it, it's still okay um, and we were a bit weary because we got to camp and there was other people there and we, we were trying to strike that balance between you're allowed you know enough rope to enjoy yourself but still look out for other people and um, it ended up that the other campers started hijacking the speaker and introducing <laughs> them to ACDC <laughs> and it became this competition like <laughs> control of the speaker was fluid yeah. and it was a great night like I've, I've never seen campers stay up that late in a hut like normally everyone's asleep by nine yeah um, it was a pretty late night but everybody was involved <laughs> it was awesome uh, you can't get anything more than ACDC and <laughs> Bush to introduce them to Australia. You know, cross-cultural learnings both ways. It's, yeah, yeah, it was good. Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, so people may not know, but our friend Lou, who was in our uh, Women in Hiking podcast episode, mm. she was on there a while back. She's one of the volunteers for First Hike Project. And we were wondering if you could give us a performance review. <laughs> <laughs> the insight. Well, no one's listening, right? No, no one ever <laughs> listens to us. Um, <laughs> Not this far in. <laughs> um, she is amazing. She really um, caught the fire of what we do. Um, a lot of people volunteer with us. Um, not everybody really gets the, the sort of inside mood in the camp. Um, and... and Lou did straight away so we we asked her not just to be a volunteer but whether she was willing to put in a little bit of extra work um, and time and become one of the coordinators of the group which she has grabbed with both hands and, and creating events and keeping our volunteers um, chatting and on hikes together and, and all that sort of stuff so yeah there's there's nothing but good stuff uh, to say about mm. Lou which is which you would probably expect yeah um but yeah it's it's really nice to see like somebody come in and she hadn't heard about us until we were we'd been operating a couple of years so she came in in the just this last group of new volunteers and um really just understands why we do it and what we're doing and, and she does a lot of other volunteer work around about so mm. um, she's she's all over knowing how to operate in that space so yeah and she's yeah. a really generous person with her time you know she she just picks up rubbish on weekends sometimes I've noticed that on <laughs> yeah. face I feel really like like I'm not really a good enough to be sometimes <laughs> I'm like wow and I, I'm on a hike and I, I, I've been on 10, 10 day hike just recently on the bib track seeing rubbish and when I picked stuff up I was I was doing a loo <laughs> and this bag of rubbish was increasing I was like damn she does it all the time yeah, yeah no she's great Alright, thanks very much Neil for coming in. It's been fantastic insight into what goes on with the first hike project and hopefully with this we can generate more interest and help you guys along the way. 
That'd be great. Yep. The more the more people that get involved, the merrier. We're always looking for volunteers or corporate corporate sponsors and all sorts of stuff. So even if we haven't mentioned it and someone wants to get involved in some capacity, give us an email on contact at firsthikeproject.org.au and we'll get you involved. But thanks a lot for the opportunity, guys. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Real Trail Talk, then please rate us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. Ratings really help for us to reach an audience and for people who maybe are looking to learn about the outdoors in Western Australia and Australia in general. If you had any questions or any suggestions for future episodes, uh, you can email us at realtrailtalk at gmail.com or you can contact us through our social media channels. Thank you for listening and we'll be back in two weeks.